I See Dead Plants podcast shares the stories of people and plants, pests, and pathogens, and the conflicts among them. Join us as we speak to the folks who are helping the rest of us live healthier, more productive lives through pest management research. We strive to make science accessible. I See Dead Plants is created by the Crop Protection Network and hosted by Ed Zaworski. The Crop Protection Network is a product of land-grant universities. Welcome to the I See Dead Plants podcast. I'm your host, Ed Zaworski, and I'm joined today by Extension Specialist Ashley Dean. Ashley got her master's here at Iowa State back in December of 2019, studying entomology and aphids specifically. Um, she's, as I said, she's an extension education, education extension specialist. My apologies. She coordinates the Iowa Moth Trapping Network and the Iowa Corn Rootworm Adult Monitoring Network. She also develops educational material for field crop pests and aids in research for the Soybean, Soybean Research Laboratory, which is uh, headed up by Aaron Hodson here at Iowa State, who's an extension entomologist here. So, Ashley, welcome. Uh, yeah, all that said, what what is it like, uh, what's a day in your life like as an education extension specialist? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me for the podcast today. I'm really excited to share some of the work that I did. Um, yeah, I I really enjoy what I do. Um, a lot of what I do is, like you said, developing just educational materials, which is a lot of times just writing like a blog post or some something newsworthy for insects. So a lot of that happens, you know, in the spring and the, the summer when insects are active or... Yep right before they might become active. So we try to give heads up, a heads up to farmers and anyone who scouts um, for insects in the spring and summer. So, um, yeah, and then when, when I'm not just writing things for Aaron's <laughs> extension efforts, I'm doing research in the, in the summer months. So she has a bunch of trials for different pests, and I help with that. And then any field days or presentations that come up, I'll help with those as well. Gotcha. Sounds like a fun job. It is very fun. I enjoy it. All right. With that, we'll jump right into your publication, which is titled Developing a Decision-Making Framework for Insect Pest Management, a Case Study Using Soybean Aphids. So, before we get into the, the research, we're going to obviously give some background information here about aphids, about uh, things that are going on that we're going to be talking about. So I'm going to turn it over to Ashley to give us some back background information on aphids. Yeah, so soybean aphid in the, in the world of pests really hasn't been around that long. Um, it's invasive to the United States and it's native to Asia. And so it first was documented in the United States in the year 2000. So mm -hmm. it's only been here about 21 years now, um, which isn't really that long if you think of insect pests. And so um, it was preceded here by another invasive species um, called buckthorn, and there's a few different species. But um, the reason that's important is because soybean aphid is um, heteroecious, so it has two hosts in its in its life cycle, and the primary host is buckthorn. And um, the fact that it was here before soybean aphid got here really helped it establish and then get going in the United States. So 
obviously the other host for soybean aphid is soybean. Um, <laughs> so maybe it should be called buckthorn aphid, not, but for our purposes, yeah, soybean aphid. Soybean aphid, yep. Um, so uh, one of the one of the interesting things about aphids in general, but soybean aphid is they have a really complex life cycle, and um, so I'll kind of just run through that real quick, just because. Um, parts of it is kind of important to what we talk about today. So soybean aphid, um, is, it, they mostly reproduce asexually um, during the summer months when it's on soybean. So um, it can go through up to 18 generations in a, wow. in a year. Yeah, so they, they can reproduce really quickly, and that can be a concern for management, but also for farmers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so in those summer months when they're reproducing asexually, obviously all of the soybean aphids in the field will be females. And mm. since they're reproducing asexually, that means that all of the um, offspring of those females are just genetic clones, uh, which means that they have the exact same genetic makeup as the female that they came from. Gotcha. Yeah, so it can get pretty complicated, and um, what's also interesting is that during the summer months, they're not laying eggs, so they're actually giving live birth to mm. little baby nymph, nymph aphids. So um, that's pretty interesting for for an insect. What, so you said they have they can have up to 18 generations during that asexual stage. Is that one aphid at a time per female, or how many aphids are being produced for each one of those iterations? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I don't have an exact number for you, but I guess I think they can they can have you know multiple aphids per okay. per female. So I. If I had to guess, I'm thinking at a time they can have like four or six, but gotcha. honestly, I'm not completely sure. And and it's very similar to diseases, uh, which we've talked about in other podcasts. Uh, if the conditions are right, I'm sure that aphid production will be better. But you can imagine with up to 18 generations that can happen in the field in one year, we could be talking about a lot of aphids, right? That's where I'm going with this, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you kind of mentioned if conditions are right, and that's kind of one of the things we wanted to touch on. Mm -hmm. So um, some of the things that make um, the some of the things that are good conditions for aphid growth are um, things like cooler and wetter conditions. So okay. that's kind of opposite of what you think of for most insects. Like most insects reproduce way better in warmer conditions, but right. aphids really don't do well when when temperatures are too high. So they'll actually, they'll, they'll die if temperatures are too high. And I think that's something like, you know, 86 degrees or something is, okay. is pretty stressful for aphids. They won't always die, but, um, it causes a lot of stress for them. And then, um, so they'll produce just a lot more offspring at, at those lower temperatures. So we're talking like 70 degrees. Um, so some of the days in the summer that we would consider cooler are what aphids really like. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So we know from some literature out there that aphids can reduce yield of soybean plants up to 50%. So that's on the high side. Uh, what's happening to a soybean plant when an aphid infestation is present? Yeah. So um, soybean aphid is 
a true bug and all true bugs have this piercing sucking stylet. So essentially they're sticking their mouth parts into the plant cells and they're extracting uh, the phloem. So nutrients and water and things that the the plant would normally use to grow, the Mm -hmm. aphids are kind of stealing that from the plant. And so that's where yield reductions can come in. Um, And the yield reductions from that process aren't really what cause like the really bad yield loss that you can sometimes see. So um, aphids, well, since they're taking in like all these sugary fluids, they will excrete something called honeydew, which is like a really sticky, um, sugary kind of substance on the plant. And then on top of that, you can get sooty mold growth. So that might be interesting to you as a plant pathologist, but, um, yeah, so that, so the sooty mold is, uh, black in color Mm -hmm. and so it can really, um, affect the photosynthetic capacity of the plant, which is what really would cause something like 40 or 50% yield loss. The aphid alone is not, is not doing that, but, um, the whole process of the feeding and the excreting the honeydew and then the sooty mold growth that can lend to really, really high, um, yield losses. So essentially it's, it sounds like the sooty mold. So the, the excretions from the aphids are, uh, left on the surface of the leaf and then the sooty mold grows on it. And then essentially it's blocking mm-hmm. light, right? So, yes. and as was, obviously we know plants need light to photosynthesize. And so, okay, that all makes sense. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, uh, uh, something of interest to me as a plant pathologist. I do know that, uh, aphids and other insects can transmit, uh, viruses. Is this something that, uh, is common here in Iowa? Yeah. So, Like other aphids, soybean aphid has the potential to transmit plant viruses, but it's not something that we see a lot in Iowa. Um, I would say that if you're maybe producing like uh, soybean for seed and you have a seed field, then that's something you Uh would be more concerned about. But we don't really see it that much in Iowa um, or I guess I haven't heard of it much in other parts of the Midwest either. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, yeah, working in the diagnostic clinic, I do not see or hear about too many cases of virus transmission on soybeans, at least in this area, like you said. Um, All right. So uh, management for aphids, I'm assuming is much like uh, it is for us in the disease world. I'm assuming that there are pesticides or in this case, an insecticide uh, that you can use as well as our natural host resistance, so the plant's ability to uh, tolerate aphids. But what what other kinds of uh, management are available or out there for aphids? Yeah, so you really touched on, like, the main two, um, and I can go into a a few details there. But um, I think it's always important to note that aphids are really soft-bodied, so they're not like, you know, beetles, which are really hard on the outside. So they're really just, like, big bags of fluid. (laughs) And so that makes it, I know that sounds gross, but, um, that makes them very delectable to other insects and things. So, um, natural enemies play a really important part in, um, in managing at least low populations of aphids. Once aphid populations kind of explode, natural enemies don't really keep up. Um, so that's things like your ladybugs and lacewings and, um, 
there's a lot of parasitic wasps. Well, not a lot, but there's a couple of parasitic wasps that do a really good job of mummifying aphids, which is really interesting. Hmm. Um, so they look exactly like aphids, but they uh, are kind of just a, sh a shell of an aphid. It's a mummy is what we call it. So that's hmm. kind of neat. <laughs> so, well, I don't want to get too far in depth on that, but essentially what they're uh, uh, sucking the juices out of them then and leaving a like an exoskeleton or? Well, they're um, laying their eggs inside of an oh. aphid, an, a live feeding aphid, and okay. then the larvae will develop on the inside. And then uh, the way that the, I guess I don't know all the mechanics, but then when the larvae develop into an adult and leave, they uh, mummify the aphid. Gotcha. not really sure how. So that could be kind of tricky maybe for somebody out looking for aphids if, you know, discerning the two i guess one would not be moving right yeah yeah and they get they get discolored so like soybean aphids are green oh. they're like a nice limey green okay. um and the mummies are usually brown or black so it's kind of cool to see out in the field but um it, it doesn't always happen because the environmental conditions have to be right and obviously if there are a ton of aphids they're not going to get them all but yeah so that that i think is always important to note for aphids because they exist, but obviously that's not what farmers are actively doing to manage uh, the aphids. Okay, um, that's so. a good point. So people are not introducing these natural enemies, these other insects, with the purpose of managing, but they do right. exist. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Well, a few more things to touch on before we get to Ashley's research. Um, just in general, I want to talk about pest resistance and uh, resistance in general as a term because we're going to be throwing around this term resistance a lot. So the Oxford Dictionary definition of resistance is the ability not to be affected by something, especially adversely. So you can, you can see where we're going with this, but pest resistance is the ability of a pest to overcome, to survive a pesticide application. So in another podcast, we talked extensively about pesticides, and you can go check that one out if you want. But uh, pesticides are designed to kill pests, whatever the pest is. Um, so the pest resistance is that pest's ability to survive that application, whereas host resistance is another type of resistance, is actually the plant host, in this case soybeans, ability to uh, either tolerate uh, or overcome an infestation of aphids in this case. So uh, another term and another idea that we're going to be talking about a little bit is the idea of IPM. And and that's kind of the, the foundation of our, our group here that uh, is doing this podcast. But IPM is Integrated Pest Management. And I'm just going to read a definition here that I pulled from the IPM Institute of North America because it is kind of a hard thing to define, and I think a lot of people have maybe their own definition for it. But just for this purpose, I'll read this uh, statement here for you, and it's just integrated pest management, or IPM, is a sustainable, science-based decision-making process that combines biological, cultural, physical, and chemical tools to identify, manage, and reduce risk from pests and pest management tools and strategies in a way that minimizes overall economic, health, and environmental risks. Now, that's a mouthful, but essentially we're trying to, and this is going to be my definition and my take on IPM, but we're trying to 
exhaust all of our options for management of pests uh, so that Essentially, we don't use the same thing over and over again so that we end up with problems with how we manage pests, which goes back to what I just talked about with, with pest resistance to pesticides. So it, just to, for a quick example here, if we were to solely manage a pest with a pesticide, eventually, you know, through uh, sexual reproduction of that pest, we could have resistance to that pesticide. This is a common thing. We see it in hospitals with certain uh, illnesses and bacteria. We see it in the agricultural world too. So that's what uh, IPM is in general. And, and Ashley's work here uh, is kind of a, uh, uh, it really focuses on IPM and helping farmers and growers utilize all these options so that they can continue to manage this pest for a long time. Check out cropprotectionnetwork.org for the latest extension resources on field crop pest management. Identify pest issues, train using scouting tools, and discover strategies for keeping crops healthy. With that, that's that's good enough background. Let's dive into the the manuscript or sorry the uh, publication here. So, Ashley, tell us about your research. You know, what was your hypothesis? Were you correct? Uh, that, that's that's really asking a lot. But I'll let Ashley dive into what they did here. Yeah. So uh, the ultimate goal of this research was to create. Uh, simple, as simple as possible. That was that was really a main focus for us. But a simple decision making framework that um, farmers could use for pest management, and we wanted to keep it pretty broad, um, just so that the framework framework could be used for other soybean pests or even um, other crop pest systems. Okay. But um, obviously, we needed to to show whether this framework was any good. So uh, we used a case study of soybean aphid in Iowa, and there are a lot of reasons that we used soybean aphid. Um, the main one is because it's currently considered the major insect pest of soybean in Iowa, so it's gotcha. the most important one mm -hmm. um, in Iowa at least. But then... Uh, Soybean aphid has adapted to different management tactics and making and is making it pretty difficult for farmers to manage the pest. So um, you touched on pest resistance and right. pest resistance. And um, soybean aphid is also a sporadic pest, which is another reason why we chose it, because you can't always predict when and where it's going to occur. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like corn rootworm, for instance, where... Um, they overwinter in a field, and then you can expect them to be there the, the next year if you plant corn. So soybean aphid is a lot more complex than that. So um, it made it, it it really made it a good um, fit for this framework. But it also, like I like you kind of mentioned, um, it's becoming resistant to pyrethroid insecticides, okay. um, which is like the main thing that farmers are using right now because it's the cheapest option gotcha. um, to manage aphids. And it also, which is another layer um, that I don't really get into in the in the manuscript, but it's important to to acknowledge is it's also resistant to the host plant resistance genes that farmers can use to target 
uh, soybean aphid. And we don't have a good handle on either one of these types of resistance, whether um, they're super prevalent, um, gotcha. where they are geographically, if we can even predict that. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes it even more important to have a framework like the one that we created so that we can try to help farmers predict these things and whether um, different strategies that they might use will um, pay off for them. Gotcha. Yeah, this sounds fantastic. I mean, we got a really complicated pest here in terms of resistance, in terms of its uh, prevalence, right? Um, yeah, this sounds fantastic. So um, just a little thing, a little build up to lead you in here. So um, ag decision making is equally as complicated. I mean, no, more complicated than what Ashley <laughs> just described, in fact, because you talk about one pest. She's just outlined one pest, right? And it's very complicated. Well, farmers or growers, they have to juggle so many things, right? Not only do they have to juggle pests, they have to juggle what uh, crop they're going to plant. They have to juggle the environmental conditions. They have to juggle nutrients out in the field. They have a lot of things on their plate. And, uh, and this is great because basically, you know, Ashley's trying to make it easier for them to take one of those variables and, and try to, to maybe solve or maybe uh, at least have some more input on what they're going to do about it. So um, and another thing is that we're all humans in this world and we all perceive risk differently. And I think it's never been more obvious than during the, the pandemic here. Everybody has a different perception of risk, right? So. They, I, they have to take in all of these variables, you know, like I said, and uh, at the end of the day, they need to make money. That's, you know, a lot of all of us are, we're trying to stay alive in this world. We're trying to make money. And so they're no different, right? And uh, an interesting note in uh, Ashley's publication towards the uh, uh, conclusions or maybe the results section, I can't remember, was that... Uh, only 1% of entomological publications since 1972 address economics. And when I read this in your, in your publication, it was pretty shocking to me. You know, we do all this research, not just for entomology or the study of insects, but for diseases and for, for all these ag-related uh, inputs or variables. It's pretty shocking to hear that only 1% of, of publications are addressing the issue of economics. And you know, Ashley, as well as me, when we're talking to growers uh, at extension talks and we're trying to convince them of these things, like a lot of the time it comes down to show me the money. Why should I do this? So this is fantastic to hear that, you know, you guys are trying to break it down so that essentially they can have an equation to use to determine if this is economically viable. So that, with that, I'll let you jump right in to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of, it, it shocked us to that statistic. And so that's kind of why we wanted to, um, really focus on something like this that could actually be useful for farmers. Not that a lot of the research that has been done isn't useful to farmers, right. obviously, but, um, th they're probably not the ones who are reading the, the scientific papers and it would really help extension professionals like us, um, to be able to just, take what's in a publication, you know, if they're determining an economic threshold or a new management tactic or something. And, um, if they, if, if the publication were to just 
tell us kind of what that value is to farmers rather than us having to sift through a bunch of information to figure it out. So that's kind of where we where we were going. We wanted to have something a, a little more farmer focused that was easy yeah. for them to follow um, and also easy for them to use and interpret and implement on their farm. Perfect. Sounds fantastic. Okay, so back to the publication. So the the first line of your title is developing a decision-making framework. So walk us through that. Uh, Tell us what the framework is and how you developed it. Yeah, so um, our main thought was just to try to capture the different things that farmers have to think about, the different variables, um, steps in their operation that might be impacted by uh, pest management decisions. Mm -hmm. And so um, just keeping it pretty general, those are kind of the things that we uh, thought about and tried to create scenarios based off of. So um, kind of what what different steps do farmers have to take? How would those all uh, align during a growing season? Um, And then uh, what might farmers be doing currently? And then what kind of alternatives could they implement, those sorts of things. And so we gotcha. tried to build scenarios. And I think we'll we'll talk more specifically about soybean aphid scenarios in, in a minute. Uh, but um, so we made these management scenarios where we literally just outlined each step that a that a farmer could could take during a growing season. And um, then we needed to gather information about all those different steps. So obviously every step Everything that a farmer does uh, during the growing season has a cost associated with it. So we had to find Uh. costs for those things. Um, And then uh, we needed to know, you know, how how frequently is the pest an issue for farmers and uh, and what would it mean if they didn't manage the pest? And so that sort of information is is kind of key to this framework. And then obviously the 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 main end goal and what we present in the paper is um how can we compare these these different scenarios based on all of this information that we have about the crop pest system um, gotcha. which is where we end up creating those uh equations that are in the paper um yeah maybe I'll let you talk about that all right so this this equation that you guys have in the paper is pretty interesting i'll kind of dive into it uh, as I understood it as I read the paper and feel free to jump in here, Ashley, uh, if I screw it up. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, I mean, like I said, farmers, growers, uh, whichever term you like, they need to make money on what they're doing. So every decision they need to understand if they're going to make money or they would like to, right? And that's, what's great about this equation as far as I can see is that, you know, the main equation that you're running here is, the, you're trying to determine what expected revenue is. So you're trying to determine, correct me if I'm wrong, how much money a farmer will make based on these uh, aphid management decisions, right? Yes. So you're looking at the equation kind of reads as expected revenue equals your expected yield or, you know, what the crop's producing in this case, soybeans, uh, multiplied by the crop value, so crop market value changes every year. You got to be up to date on what soybeans are worth at a given time or a given year. And then uh, subtracting the expected inputs. So how you're managing the aphid. Are you spraying? 
what are the costs of the variety? What are the costs of the monitoring? Am I leaving out any other variables there? Yeah, those are the ones important for for soybean aphid, but um, obviously you could throw in like all the other costs that farmers accumulate throughout the growing season for other things. Yeah. Sure. But like, but here we're focusing, we're trying, you're trying to focus on just aphids, right? So, which is probably really challenging to do, but, (laughs) um, and then, so within that we had expected yield, which is another complication. So they had an equation to determine what the expected yield would be. And that covers things like if a pest is present or not. Um, and then if there is going to be enough of the pest to cause damage, right? Yeah. So that, yes, that yield equation is quite complicated if you're not the person who thinks about it all day long. So um, I kind of just created a one a one-liner to help me remember exactly what it really Perfect. boils down to. So I'll share that with you. Um, so I kind of think of it as if the probability of an outbreak is greater than zero, expected yield is impacted by the management action that the farmer takes and then whether it was effective. And that's dependent on whether the um, insect pest is resistant or susceptible to that management tactic. Gotcha. And so that's really what that equation boils down to. Gotcha. There's some other terms in here that you use, and I think they're important to go over for, for this. Uh, there's an economic injury level and an economic threshold. And obviously the word economics is a dead giveaway uh, with regards to the pest. But can you explain each of those in a little bit more detail just so that we have it as more background? Yeah, so those terms are really central to integrated pest management. Um Using a, a an economic threshold is probably something most people have heard of um, to make management decisions. So, um, an economic injury level is the the lowest pest density that will um, cause yield loss equal to the cost of managing that pest. So, um, if you think of like bushels per acre being lost, um, that would be the the lowest pest density that causes yield loss. So is that kind of like a break-even point if if I'm dumbing mm-hmm. it down even further? That's basically where you've got money that you put into it, and so there has to be at least this many or this much injury to make your management worth it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's essentially the same concept. I think there's a different term for, for the break-even point, but it's essentially the same thing. Gotcha. Okay. And versus economic threshold, yeah. which is... Yeah. So obviously you never want the pest population or injury to get to the point where you're losing money or losing yield, right? So um, the economic threshold is set somewhere below the economic injury level um, such that it, it represents the point at which you should take action to prevent that pest population from reaching the economic injury level. Gotcha. So essentially... If you want to make the most out of your management practices, you want to get to it at the economic threshold before it gets to the economic injury level, right? So you can make money. Yes. Makes sense. Okay. So you talked about the scenarios that you were running to uh, kind of filter into this equation and and make sense of it. So 
What are these scenarios? How many of them did you have? Uh, let's talk about those. Yeah, so I've kept it pretty general up until now, but I think everything from here on out will be pretty soybean aphid specific. So we um, tried to come up with management scenarios that we thought farmers are either actively doing now or um, ones that they might do if, you know, aphids were to become more resistant to pyrethroids and they had resistance on their farm or um, if aphid-resistant varieties was something they wanted to pursue. And so um, the scenarios were really made up of uh, four major components. So the seed variety, which consisted of two different components, and that's um, whether it is susceptible or resistant to the soybean aphid. So that's just like a normal soybean variety versus a host plant resistant variety. And then alongside that, and I'll get into this in a moment, is whether um, the variety is herbicide tolerant or not. Uh-huh. And the reason that that was important for this, because you might be wondering, well, why why do insect people care about herbicide tolerance? But the reason that that was important for this particular pest in crop system is because um, currently there are no herbicide tolerant aphid resistant varieties available to farmers. So you can find aphid resistant varieties on the market, but they're either certified organic or they're just conventional, so they don't have any herbicide tolerance. And considering the fact that over 94% of soybean acres are planted to herbicide tolerant varieties, ah. um, that kind of tells us that like the standard practice for farmers is a susceptible herbicide tolerant variety. Um, so that's what we used as our comparison um, against all the other scenarios because we, we're considering that like standard practice for farmers since, you know, 94% of Iowans yeah. are using herbicide-tolerant varieties. So essentially standard practice unfortunately means that if a farmer is going to use an herbicide or a weed killer, they are not also going to have uh, aphid resistance in that uh, seed variety, correct? Correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so aside from seed variety, the other things that we thought about were, will the farmer scout for aphids? Um, And scouting is important because that uh, if you're monitoring for soybean aphids at at any interval, you know, we recommend like every 7 to 10 days as extension folks. But um, even if they're not monitoring that frequently, um, if you're scouting for aphids, then you, you would be able to make an informed management decision once the economic threshold is reached. Right. Um, and then the the next thing was um, how are they going to be spraying for aphids? So um, if, if they choose to make a management decision, is it going to be a pyrethroid or an organophosphate or what, what product? And then um, alongside that, will they even spray? So even right. if they know that they have an outbreak, are they going to do anything about it? Um, so that, that went into making different scenarios. And then the final thing was, is, is the soybean aphid resistant to whatever management tactic that they're using? Gotcha. And again, that's the pest resistance versus the host resistance. So yes, is that aphid resistant to the uh, insecticide that you'd be using? Yes. Gotcha. Cool. 
All right. Uh, so that's those are the the scenarios. And again, like Ashley said, there were eight of those different scenarios that they were laying out, and they they touch on all the pillars of IEPM. You know, uh, do you know that the pest is present? What are you going to do about it? And so, and and it's very applicable to what farmers have available to them now and what they're doing. Because like you said, a lot of them don't have the option of using host resistance currently. And we hope in, in, in IPM that that changes. But uh, yeah, so this is very applicable to, again, aphids as a case study and what farmers can actually use and do for aphids out in the field. So how did you, what did you do to collect the data, Ashley? Like, uh, Yeah, so... Uh, I mentioned that like part of our framework is just gathering information for all these different management considerations that farmers have to make. And so um, I'll try to keep it pretty brief here for this, but um, we tried to use all publicly available information so that someone could reproduce this, but also so right. that they could go find this information um, and they don't have to, you know, sift through a bunch of roadblocks to... Um, to get it. So um, one of the major things uh, in the framework was how often aphid outbreaks occur in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And so we got that information from, um, gosh, I think it's 23 site years of of data Uh. for um, the insecticide efficacy evaluations for soybean aphid that have been ongoing in Iowa since 2007. I think so. We have like all this information on um, in these areas that we consider high risk for an aphid outbreak. So that's like the northern two thirds of the state Um, just because of, I think, environmental conditions and things. um, And that's kind of where buckthorn is more more prevalent. It's overwintering hosts. So the northern two thirds of the state is is more at risk for an aphid outbreak. And so um, we determined that uh, in those areas, across all that, all those site years that we had available for for looking at data, um, that an aphid outbreak occurred 43% of the time across all those site mm. years. Okay. So that's maybe not as high as people would think, and it definitely doesn't represent like a single farm because some people experience an outbreak, you know, every year or every two years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned to me in talking before we started uh, the recording that the sporadicness of aphids, I mean, it, it was amazing to me to hear that you could have one field with a, a, an aphid population and then directly across the road you might not. And that, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to explain that because I know <laughs> that it's probably a, a, a reach, but it's uh, another consideration to make here in all this. So Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and then as far as input costs go, um, we we used the ISU custom rate survey um, on the Ag Decision Maker website okay. for a lot of the input costs that farmers would, uh, would, would do. And then um, we also used crop budgets from Ag Decision Maker as well just to get um, herbicide prices because that was um, hard to hard to tease out. So we just used the ones from the crop budgets. So that's good. So everything, everything that you guys use for input costs is readily available through mm-hmm. Ag Decision Maker. So 
if somebody was so inclined as to check your work, like you said, <laughs> yeah. it's all there. It's all publicly available. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so what about seed costs and insecticide costs uh, for your data collection? Where did you get that information from? Yeah, those were a little harder to come by. Um, so obviously the crop budgets will have seed costs, but they are not going to incorporate aphid resistant varieties in those. So um, I took a more external uh, sourcing of that data and I just kind of made some calls to different co-ops and seed companies and looked up any seed catalogs that I could get online um, that had, you know, prices in them. And um, that's kind of where I got different costs for, for different varieties. So um, there are only a few places that sell aphid-resistant varieties. Okay. Um, and and um, obviously they're not herbicide tolerant. And um, then I got, I yeah, I just kind of called some people that I knew from like Pioneer and, um, and Bex and some different co-ops and stuff and just got seed costs from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then insecticide costs are also not included in the crop budgets. So like I got herbicide costs from from the budgets, but insecticides are not included. And so I just used online chemical retailers. Gotcha. And I kind of sifted through the label for like application rates and things like that. Um, so they're probably a little different than what like a farmer would contract with a co-op, but they right. should be at least representative of the difference in cost between different um, modes of action. Gotcha. I See Dead Plants bridges the gap between plant science research and the impact it has on our daily lives. It is brought to you by the Crop Protection Network and Extension and is sponsored in part by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. For more information on the topics covered today, check out cropprotectionnetwork.org. Remember, this information is for entertainment purposes only. Statements made in this podcast should be interpreted within the limited context of the particular topics being discussed. Contact your state extension program for local information on pest management. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to cropprotectionnetwork.org backslash about. Thank you for listening to I See Dead Plants.